0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number eighty seven. Today's show is kindly brought to you by Squarespace, MailRoute, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined by Senor Jason Snell. Hi Mike, how's it going? Good, how are you?
1: Good, you know, it's Monday morning, it's uh for me, so I'm waking up, I'm getting I'm getting into it, but I'm glad to be here to start my week with you.
0: Thank you. It's a, always a pleasure, sir. And in our tradition of uh, continuing to advance the medium, we are going to be today having some guest follow-up. So we have Mr. Scott McNulty with us today. It's, it's afternoon here in Philadelphia, but... Yes. Happy lunchtime to you. Thank you.
1: Uh, we we Yeah, so Scott was on a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the kindle oasis but we couldn't actually uh give any hands-on perspective about it because it had like like we did when we talked to serenity for an entire episode about the apple pencil and she didn't have one um we we did an entire episode uh about the kindle oasis and we didn't have it but we have them now and so i thought that this would be a good way to start is with some follow-up with guests about the kindle oasis so scott uh, oh, oh, this is a question, Mike. Mike, who doesn't care about Kindles, this is a question he's prepared for us. So, Mike, oh. why don't you ask your question as okay. an expert, uh, Scott? Do you like it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, these are the hard-hitting questions uh-huh. that I, I was not prepared for. This is what this is the kind of journalism you can only get on upgrade. <laughs> uh, the
2: Kindle uh, always says, "I do like it." Um, uh, I uh, it is once again generally i have this thing where the most recent kindle is my favorite kindle and i think that that streak continues with the kindle oasis
1: yeah that, which is a good sign right that they're making things better um in in some ways i like it too i was really i was skeptical of this one i don't know what about it the, the idea that it was this you know well they're doing the apple thing if we're going to make it thinner and lighter and you have to get it with the with a case and i um, and then I opened the box and I was kind of shocked at how small it was. Like, I have in my mind, like, what, how big a Kindle should be. And it was a lot smaller than that. And the case, I pulled the case out of its little little uh, slip that it was in. And I thought, this is it. This, it's so tiny. Is, is, was there a mistake? <laughs> Where's the actual case? Because it's, uh, it's all very small and thin and light in a way that I, I, I didn't expect. I don't know. I don't know what your reactions were when you picked it up.
2: Uh, I was surprised by the size, but I have a I have trouble um, visualizing sizes. So you know, I can read the specs and I can see a picture with someone's hand next to it. That still is meaningless to me until i actually can see it with my my own eyes and and hold it with my own hands. And it is surprisingly small, and the screen is the same size, so that's great. Um, and it's also very light, especially when you don't have the cover on it. Uh, although I think with the cover, it's still not very heavy. It's certainly yeah maybe maybe a tiny bit heavier than my Voyage. Although I can't really discern the difference um but yeah and i was also pleasantly surprised to see in the little package there that the the cover and the kindle came uh in two different boxes in the same little box uh so that led me to believe that perhaps in the future you can buy just the oasis or just the cover but i I don't that's just me assuming that maybe that's what that means but it could just mean uh it's easier to ship things that way i don't know
0: there's a certain weirdness in offering a product. That comes with another product. Like this, is very strange to me. Like the, you buy the Kindle and it comes with the battery case. It feels like it's an option that they give you. It's it's kind of strange.
1: Yeah. Um. Although, so so, <laughs> here's one thing that I noticed in using it. Um, because they've made the main Kindle so much lighter and thinner, I think they've done away with some of the battery. <laughs> and I I. I just, it's hard for me to tell, but the battery seems to drain on it when it's not attached to the case pretty fast, like faster than I'm used to with a Kindle. And I'm wondering if this was why it, they bundled it all together is that, um, they it's like, yeah, well, on, on its own, we really took a hit to battery life, but if you've always got the case around then the case will supplement that battery life and give you back an extended range of it. Because I don't know if you noticed this, Scott, but it felt to me like every time I checked when I was just reading on the Kindle without the battery cover attached, like I could see it over like the course of a day, I could see the battery percentage go down, which never really happened on my older Kindles.
2: Oh, I think that's totally true and totally why they have the battery cover at all uh, in their quest to make it super thin, and super light, which they have achieved. Good job, uh, Amazon. Uh, They had to, one assumes, squish everything into the little, uh, I'll call it the Kindle hump on the side. I don't think Amazon calls it that. Uh, And so it has a smaller battery in the main device, and so it doesn't last as long. Also, something I didn't realize, um, but which Amazon makes, doesn't hide it, uh, this Kindle doesn't have auto brightness, like the Voyage. So the Voyage will automatically dim or brighten the screen based on the the light in the room, which uh, is a feature I really liked, but I, and I didn't realize how much I liked it until I was using a Kindle that does not have it, uh, which mm. the Oasis does not have. And I think that also impacts the battery usage, especially for me, because I keep it bright probably more than I should, and then, you know, it, it goes through the battery.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it obviously they took out a sensor, probably in order to make mm-hmm. it thinner and lighter. They took out that light sensor. I never liked that feature because I would always find it adjusting the light at a, at a weird time when I'd be like, "No, why are you <laughs> getting dim? Brighter now, brighter."
2: Well, it did have the problem where you would cover the sensor with your finger, and then it would be like, oh, "You're <laughs> in a completely dark room. Let me crank the, the brightness really down." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But I, you know, it's I I just I, when they announced it, I, I rolled my eyes at the whole idea of. uh of uh, oh thinner and lighter do we really need that? But having picked it up like the first time I picked it up, I was like, oh, I see it now. Like I get, <laughs> I get it because although you would never call the Kindle Voyage or the Paperwhite like a, a big heavy device, they're small. This is like it feels appreciably different. Like in a way, the Voyage didn't feel appreciably different from the Paperwhite. It was a little bit different, but it very much you know it was super subtle. The 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 Oasis is. Remarkably thinner and lighter, um, and even with the case on, it feels compact. But with the case off, um, it's it's it, and it's a pleasure. It's a it's a really it's really nice thing. When I picked it up for the first time, I thought, oh, I'm not sending this back. That's never that's never going to happen. Like uh, this is a keeper because it is uh, it, it's so pleasant to hold it, and it's got the physical page turn buttons, which they they finally went back to. And uh, on the pictures, it was unclear, I'm like... I don't trust Amazon anymore, I think, about some of this stuff because they took those buttons off. It's like when they put them back and they were just silkscreen things that you squeezed and it vibrated. I was like, all right, well, we'll see if those are physical page turn buttons. They're actual things. You depress them. They depress mm-hmm. the page turns. It's, you know, I know it's not rocket science, but they, they did a good job with that. They it, it,
2: They feel good to turn the pages. And one of the things that I didn't think would impact my usage all that much, but it has totally made this device... Even better for me is the automatic uh, flipping of the screen. So when you move it from one hand to another uh, and it just automatically switches, which is a small thing. But it's just like fantastic because the buttons are always in the right place.
1: Yeah, every iOS device has had uh, an accelerometer to determine the orientation of the device. And no Kindle has had it. (laughs) And for this, because they only have the page turn buttons on the one side, it's especially... Uh, especially important that they have this, the ability for you to flip the orientation. I found that I actually prefer it uh, in my left hand, which means that it would be upside down. I think in terms of uh, how how you would you would orient it, um, and it doesn't matter, right? And if I want to switch to the other other hand to turn the pages, I just flip it over and and it auto rotates, which is. Uh, uh again a feature that seems very basic but was not present before so it's good to see that they finally did it
2: and the kindle os has had rotation built into it it just did not auto rotate so you could go into a menu and move it around but that was just a pain so uh, yeah having having that auto uh rotate is uh super great and i like the cover itself i didn't think i would like the cover all that much i mean i thought i'd like the battery part of it and i do uh, but I actually like the—I don't know if it's real leather or not—but uh, I like I it. It, it feels like a book when you're holding it. It, it looks does. Nice. Um, it's a
1: uh, it, the the leather. The le- it's th- super thin. Um, one of the problems I had with a lot of leather cases in the old like the, I, I had a leather Kindle case at one point, and it was it was thick and weighty. And this is super thin. It actually reminded me of kind of like the like the Apple Watch leather watch bands where they're. Um, they're leather, but they're they're almost like papery, uh, thin and and sort of lightly textured, and it's a little bit like that. And then the battery on the back, you know, it's not one of these big wraparound cases. It's like uh, a battery that is the shape of the uh, of the indentation that's not the Kindle hump.
2: Um, the non hump portion, I believe they call it,
1: <laughs> and it just magnetically attaches. So uh, at that point, it's it, it's a you know a, a bigger device with a with a little battery, and, and it extends the battery life. And I think I think one of the ways they want you to use this is they, it's the main Kindle has enough battery life that you can just carry it around without the case on it. But they'll figure you'll have the case around, and at you know at some point you'll store it in the case. At which point, uh, the battery will just top up the battery on the device. And uh another funny thing is you can't charge the case. The case charges through the Kindle, and the uh, the micro USB port is on the Kindle, uh, which I also thought was interesting because I, I thought, well, maybe you just leave the ca- leave the battery case charging somewhere while you're out, but that's not how it works either.
2: Uh, although I do, that's how I am uh, they've made it very easy to take it off with you know magnets and all that. so I've been just ripping it off and leaving it by my. Uh, bedside table, uh, the cover, and uh, walking around and reading on my Kindle, and then when it's time to go to sleep, I put it back in, and I don't even bother to plug in the USB thing because it's just charging off of the 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 battery case, so it's right. cool.
1: Yeah, I, I like that, and that means that your device itself is, is basically always charging Charged once it's spent some time in the in the case, and you just mm-hmm. have to remember every so often to charge it with the case. Uh, so it's it, they move the battery. It's it's an interesting idea, and it's a little bit kludgy, but I I get why they did it. That the idea of moving some of the battery weight and size out of the device itself, but into this kind of convenient product that's that's by its side. Uh, but it also explains why they are sold together, because I think people would probably notice how much less battery there is in the main device if they didn't yeah i
2: think amazon says it's something like two weeks without the cover which is ridiculously uh short amount of time for a kindle so
1: yeah and i imagine that if you have that that's if you keep the brightness down and have wi-fi turned off
2: and you read like for 30 minutes a day or something like that so
1: (laughs) there (laughs) are are a lot of uh
2: asterisks next to that third uh two-week window
1: lies lies about batteries lots of lies about batteries
2: and another very small thing that I like, obviously the, the face of the Kindle, there's not a lot of room there, uh, but they took off all of the Kindle branding on the face of it. So it's just a, a frame, a black frame without a little Kindle logo at the bottom. Actually, I don't think it has a Kindle logo anywhere on it, even on the battery case, but it has a couple of Amazon logos. but uh, So it's not distracting you.
1: Yeah, I, no, I, I really like that. That there's nothing, nothing on the face. Uh, the bezels are are a lot smaller. The screen is the same as on the Voyage, but uh, I, I like it. I think the backlighting or the side lighting, whatever, is uh, is is good. I read a book on it this weekend, and uh, y- yeah, it's really it's really pleasant. But it, it's funny. It's one of those things where you kind of almost have to hold it in your hands to get why it's. Um, why it costs so much more than the paperwhite and why that might be worth it for some people. Um, it, it's, you know, it's the it's a nice case and it's a nice device. And I, I, I definitely agree. You know, when we talked about the Voyage, Scott, uh, last year, I remember being very much kind of on the fence about it. I was like, I decided to keep it, but I thought about even sending it back because I didn't think it was that much better than the paperwhite. And I kept recommending to people, just get the paperwhite. The paperwhite's really good. Um, I, 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 Don't think that the Oasis is just slightly better than the Voyage of the Paperwhite. I'd say it's better. It's really nice. Uh, I still wouldn't recommend that most people buy it because it is a lot more expensive. You could buy like three paper whites for the cost of the oasis so uh i would recommend doing that and reading three books at once <laughs> instead for most people but it's a really nice piece of hardware it's just you know it, it's probably not what you know if you're a kindle addict like me and uh that could be a new podcast mike t- take notes the kindle addict okay. uh like me and like scott uh but you know but, but right scott i mean the paper whites a really nice product and at 99 or like 100 bucks it's a pretty great deal too
2: yeah and I think that so the Paperwhite uh kind of redefined what a Kindle was when it came out and compared to all the other Kindles you thought oh this is what they were trying to get at. Uh mm. and I think while the Voyage re- redefined you know it 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 uh, refined what uh the Paperwhite was doing it didn't really it wasn't as uh great a leap forward whereas I think the Oasis is once again another thing of they're getting even closer to what they're trying to do. And uh if you like you said Jason if you have the money and you are really into Kindles uh, the Oasis is the Kindle you should get. If you just want to read a couple books a year, probably spending $300 on a single-use device is not the <laughs> best bad idea. use of your money. But uh, yeah. who am I to tell you what to do with your money? Yeah.
1: Well, our friend uh, Dan Morin bought a, a Paperwhite, and I think I think he uh, was in that moment like, oh, geez, they're going to announce new Kindles. But uh, this is probably – now that they cut the price on this, this is probably worth it for me. And uh, I think he made a good decision, I think, for for – yeah, for him, that's uh, and, and for most people, I think, if you want to get into the Kindles, I would not recommend that $60 low end Kindle, but the paper white oh. that lights itself and has a good clear screen on it is, and, and, uh, you know, and no page turn buttons or anything, but you use the tap on the touch screen to turn the page, and it's a, it's a very good product.
2: Yeah, and now Amazon is selling that entry-level $60 Kindle, which no one should buy, Uh, the Paperwhite, which most people should buy, the Voyage, which at this point I don't think anyone should buy, and I'm not quite sure why Amazon is still selling it, Uh, and the Oasis, which you should buy if you were in the market for a Voyage, because the Voyage is a lot more expensive than the Paperwhite, so just spend a little bit more and get an even better Kindle.
1: Yeah, the Voyage almost feels like Paperwhite 2. Or Paperwhite three, whatever it is, because I think there've been two generations of Paperwhite, and I wonder if over time that's what will happen: is either it will go away, or it will be the you know it will replace the Paperwhite, and they'll keep cutting the price on it. But I'm not clear kind of why the why the Voyage needs to exist with the Paperwhite because they're so similar now, and and and, uh, and there's this other product that's so clearly above them. Oh, um a couple other things i wanted to mention one is uh, uh it doesn't let you rotate horizontally which uh, except with uh through the menus but i actually think mm-hmm. that this this thing is so thin and light that there's probably there's probably people who would let, who would hold it like horizontally and read that way um and you could do it i haven't tried it i i it's a little bit strange but uh
2: <laughs> but you you could you could do that if you wanted to if people are into fonts it has a new font uh amazon ember Uh, which I guess is a sans serif. I can never remember what serif or sans serif is. um, But it's one of those <laughs> it's uh, it's
1: either sans or yeah no it's a it's a sans serif font to go with but they, they have bookerly which is the serif font and now they've got ember which is a sans serif font that they did along with their other i don't you know i don't love their typography we we said that a couple weeks ago but it's fine it's fine they I i still wish you could turn off justification force justification uh but uh it's uh it's they they've they've improved their typography some and i you know it's still worth uh I love reading books on my Kindle so I'm I'm happy to have it.
0: I have uh, some thoughts about this actually because lis- listening to you guys here. Welcome back Mike. Mike. Hi, how you doing? Nice Hi. to see you. Um, Do you
2: like your Kindle Oasis, Mike?
0: I absolutely love it. It's it's almost like a mirage. Um <laughs> mm. I'm very confused about this product, especially in hearing you talk about it because what it seems like Amazon have done is make the Kindle better by just kind of cutting it in half and giving you both pieces. But you seem really happy, both of you, about the fact that that's happened. Like, it just seems very strange. It's like, we're going to take the battery life and the thickness out of the Kindle, put Uh it into a case, give you the case, and then you think that we've solved the thickness problem it just seems very strange to me like and i'm not saying that you guys are wrong but it seems like a very peculiar approach that i'm not sure many other companies could get away with like if apple came out and said the iphone is now as thin as a piece of paper and it's great it will last a couple of hours and you will just need to put <laughs> this battery case on it that we're going to give you and then you can get the regular day's charge out of it
2: well, I think th- there's two very different use cases with a phone and a book reader, right? Yeah. And I think that the the weight of like I don't my phone does not need to be any lighter or thinner. I'm sure it will be. Um but a thing that I'm holding in one hand for hours at a time while I'm trying to read needs to be as light as it can be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what Amazon is going towards. And I put it down at night, right? So it doesn't matter. I'm not going to use it for those several hours whereas my phone uh, I might use like it might wake me up or something. I don't know. My
0: phone often does. My Kindle
2: never wakes me up. So uh,
0: two two points to the Kindle. I mean, this is what I mean about like the fact that maybe Amazon's the only pus the only company who could get away with this, right? Because of the product that they make,
2: right? I think the 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 e reader market can get away with it because it's a very different device that's doing a different thing. Like if it was, if Amazon's Fire tablets, they did the same thing, I don't think they would be as successful with that. Uh, although I don't know if they're being all that successful with their Fire ta- tablets or not. But um, yeah, I think it's just a very different t- class of device.
1: I don't think the Kindle use case is, is the same, like Scott said, with as the, the phone, because I think this, the Kindle Oasis without the battery cover will be good for you to read all day. Like, I think it would be good to read all day. I think the difference is maybe the old one you could read all weekend uh, and into the next week without ever plugging it in and it wouldn't be a problem with Wi-Fi turned on. And this one, you know, after a day, day and a half, maybe you you would need to, to plug it in. So the equivalent for a phone would be, imagine you've got a phone that runs for five days without being plugged in. That doesn't exist, but imagine it. Just dream about it. And then... Um, Imagine that Apple says, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to pair it back to one day, uh, but also sell this really nifty battery case that makes it a little heavier, that will give you the full five or six or eight day experience. That's sort of what Amazon's doing here. It's like at, at some point they've they kind of had battery to give, I guess I would say. Um, and so they, get, they they gave it and said, okay, here. Here, we made it thinner and lighter. It'll get you through, you know, a, a, a couple of days. You didn't need a week or two of battery life uh all the time on just the device, but we also had this case that will recharge you. So it's it's a little bit different because the the use case is different and because the Kindles have had way longer battery lives than than a, than an iPhone has ever had.
0: So if you plug the Kindle into the case, it charges the Kindle as well as give extra battery life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it charges
1: it back up. Like if you if you leave it even in for like an hour in the case, mm-hmm. and then you pick it up again, it's back to being basically full. It's very interesting. Yeah, and and I think the other thing that's that that I would say is this isn't just like even with the case on it, it's just not not just like one of the older Kindles because they have reduced the bezel uh, around most of the edges, and then and added uh-huh. to it on the one side to give you that kind of grippable area, and so it does feel like it's pushing, like Scott was uh, alluding to, pushing toward. Amazon's vision for what the, what the Kindle ultimately is, which is that it should disappear. Like that, that's really what they've said. Jeff Bezos has said that, 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 you know, the goal is to disappear. You're just in the reading experience. It's all about the words on the page. And, uh, you know, the, the Oasis, because it's that much thinner and lighter, it is sort of like getting to that point where it's, um, it's, it's starting to vanish and, uh, it's, it's a nice piece of hardware. I think they did a good job. Like with the case on, it feels like this little tiny compact, um almost like a notebook or something like a little digest uh, that you would that you would carry around and, and like a like a field notes kind of thing almost um and i like the feel of it too even with the case on it it feels
2: compact in a way that the other ones didn't the only things that i miss about my kindle voyage Are the auto brightness thing, which I already talked about, and the cover that I had for that, which was the Amazon origami thing, which would make it into a little stand, so I wouldn't have to. When I was like eating my lunch, I wouldn't have to hold up my Kindle like a savage. But now I'm back to holding up my Kindle. Well, now I just rest it against like a a cover. It's so light. I rest it against a feather, and it's fine. Uh,
0: (laughs) The other thing, though, that's weird about this, in like what you've mentioned, Scott, and kind of talking about the previous Kindles as well. Amazon seem to not really mind too much about giving features and then taking them away when a product is replaced. Right. It's very, right. that's also a very strange way of doing this stuff. Like, oh, we have a new, even better Kindle. It has some additional features, and so we've also taken some away as well. It's, there yeah. aren't a lot of companies that do that. You could argue that Apple used to be more like that, and now that Apple has become more
1: successful, it's harder for Apple to take things away from their large, not that they won't do it, but that it it makes it harder. And Amazon, with this product, seems very much in that space of being like, uh, you know, an artist (laughs) who's like, no, you don't get that anymore. We have moved on. We've made a decision, and here's the new thing, and the buttons are gone. Just deal with it. The buttons are gone now.
2: The buttons are back. (laughs) yeah
1: and now they're back because i think they heard from people that the and and it was a weird case where they took the buttons off entirely and it was just touchscreen and then they're like well we'll bring back these funny buttons that aren't buttons and then they're like okay fine buttons here you go you get your buttons back um happy now yeah i i am Uh, although i I wanted to throw out one other thing which is that the Kittle oasis is 290 dollars which is pricey um Mm -hmm. It is given that the paper white's a 100. Um, but the thing that really actually bugs me about it is they're still doing their thing where it's t- it's 290 with special offers. And if you want to turn the ads off, it's another 20. Uh, and since everything comes with the case, that means that by default, unless you pay the extra $20, when you open the case, it wakes up to show you an ad, but you still have to swipe in order to get to your book. Uh, and. And for a100 dollars, I feel like that's a that's an okay thing to do. at 290, I think there should be no ads. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think having everybody have to pay three ten in order to remove the Amazon ads from the screen and have the experience that when you open the cover the the book just appears. I think I think at some point they Amazon should kind of cut it off and say, you know this this you can cheap out by twenty dollars in order to not see ads is uh, kind of unbecoming of
0: a product in this price range. But that's what they did. That jump should be a lot bigger. Oh yeah, you think so? if they're going to do it, right? The gap between those prices should be way, way bigger.
1: Yeah, it's not like the special offers aren't bad, but I think from a usability standpoint, like if you're going to have a device with a cover that is this magnetic cover that automatically wakes and sleeps the screen, just like an iPad, iPad smart cover would be, um, the the special offers really get in the way. Like They kind of wreck that experience by having the special offers in the way, in, in a way that, um, that uh, and now every single one of these devices right now is shipping with that cover. Uh, which means they're all getting the special offers in the way unless they pay $20. And yeah, you're right Mike. Maybe if maybe you put specials offers in and you offer this for 250 and it's a it's a $50 or $60 savings then that's a little bit different experience. But for the $20 with a with a $290 product it seems like a miscalculation to me.
0: On the other end of this as well, it's, it's very surprising to me that there isn't yet a free Kindle with a Prime subscription. Well, I
1: I think free is hard right because because if you give something away people will get it and not actually want to use it and they they do want to I mean the the base Kindle at $60 is getting perilously close Yeah exactly and I do wonder if, you know, they do a, a special uh, for Prime members at some point where it's $20 or something like that. I think we're going
2: to get there where it's nearly free, not quite free, but nearly free for them. Right. And they do have uh, the Kindle Fire 7-inch is $40. Uh, so, you know, for $20 less, you get a tablet that has a Kindle app on it. Uh, it's not obviously if you're going to get a Kindle e-ink Kindle, they are better for reading. But
0: Yeah, see, those prices are why I think... It's surprising they haven't done free because for for those devices for this they're they're basically free, right? It's just it's just strange to me that they just they don't just say hey if you want one let us know and we'll send you one. They always seem to send me one, uh, but it's not free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's.
1: I, I mean, I think free making any product free, you you're going to get a lot of people who get it because it's free and then don't use it. And if you're taking a loss on it, then there's no point in doing that. I think they do wanna make money or at least break even and then have the upside of selling you things. So like the, when they did the Fire uh, TV stick for $29 or something like that, I think that was one of those cases where that's sort of pushing it, where some people bought Chromecasts and Fire TV sticks with unclear about whether they would ever use them just because it seemed like an irresistible price. And you know, if you're Amazon, uh, below a certain point, it doesn't make sense for you to give them away because you're not going to get that money back because people are just going to get them and then not use them uh, as well as they as you need them to. So uh, you know, free. I don't know. Although you're right, Prime membership. If you're a Prime member, saying you you know you you basically are eligible to get a free Fire tablet or Kindle once every two years at this base level, and we'll be happy to send it to you as a thank you. That that maybe that will happen sometime. I, mean, I, I I'm a little surprised they haven't experimented with that as part of the membership deal.
0: Yeah, I mean when I say free, I mean like free for prime for, members, not like free, free for yeah, everyone. free with your paid subscription. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they could know?
2: do what they do with the Dash buttons, right? You pay them five dollars, uh, but that turns into a credit for your first right. Dash order. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a deposit.
1: Yeah. And it makes you makes you try it out, right? It makes you want exactly. to use it and then you find out whether you like it or not. That's all I've got about the about the Oasis, except to say, yeah, I like it, and I w- I would not recommend it for most people because it is the high high end and it's got a high price. But it's a nice product. They're not wrong in 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 uh, you know saying it's a premium product uh, that that uh, at that premium price, it, it it's very nice. Most people should probably just buy the paper white, But it's a really nice product. I'm very happy with it. It's uh it's really quite pleasant.
2: It is better than I thought it would be, and I thought it'd be yeah. pretty good. So. Uh. <laughs>
1: All right, I think that's it for for our our, our guest follow up, Scott. Thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, of your workday to do uh, some guest fu about uh, the Kindle.
2: My pleasure. Um, anytime you need me, just uh, turn on the Kindle sign and I will
1: appear. Oh, yes, we'll shine the Kindle signal and Scott
0: will appear. Thank you for, to Mr. McNulty for joining us today. And let's take a quick break, and then we actually have some other follow up to get into Jason. That's yeah. just between. Me and you, and of course, the listeners too. This week's episode (laughs) is brought to you by Pingdom, a new sponsor for the show. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com. You'll be able to get yourself a 14-day free trial as a listener of this show. And when you enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout, you will get yourself a lovely 20% of your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy to use tools and services. For example, if you're a user of Pingdom, monitoring the availability and performance on your server, database or website will be A breeze. This is taken care of by more than 70 global test servers that Pingdom own that will emulate visits to your site to check its availability as often as every minute if you need that kind of to the minute data. Developers know that websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and are often made up of several dependencies and when one dependency encounters an outage it can affect the whole website. So Pingdom will also make it possible to monitor the availability of key interactions on your site such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality and so much more. Stuff breaks on the internet all time. The time. Every month, Pingdom detects over 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. So, regardless of whether you have a small website or a complete buzzing infrastructure this shows you the importance of monitoring the availability and performance of your site all pingdom needs is the url you want to monitor and they will take care of the rest when pingdom detects an outage you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime will affect you you don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site so you need pingdom check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your website is down go to pingdom.com for a 14-day trial and use the code upgrade at checkout to get 20% off thank you so much to pingdom for their support of this show so mr snow yes sir let's get back in to me our follow-up. So uh, we had a great email from Ryan who was talking to us about a potential reason for the Apple car and its existence from uh, what we were talking about last week. And Ryan said, Wouldn't designing a car be like the ultimate challenge for Johnny Ive? Surely he would jump at the chance to want to do this and might be kind of helping spearhead the project for him to do cars what for him to do to cars what he did for phones computer design and things like that would kind of put him as ryan says in the mount rushmore of design after his hand in designing the new apple campus quite literally the car is the only thing he has left
1: well uh that's probably true although um you're not gonna Hire hundreds of people or thousands of people and spend, you know, a billion dollars just because you want to keep Johnny Ive engaged.
0: No way. But I mean, like, he might be there <laughs> helping push it forward, right?
1: Sure. Sure. Sure, and he's probably, uh, if he's involved in this, I, I would assume he would be involved with this, and then he's probably working with a team of designers who have uh, some, some background. I know that he loves cars and drives a Bentley and all of these things. Um, Bentley, by the way, sorry, I'm not a car guy, but I've see, I see pictures of Bentleys, and I'm like, wow, that's one ugly car. But, I don't okay. like Bentleys, either. Yeah, they, they seem really horrendously ugly to me, but Johnny I likes them, so okay. Uh, sorry, Bentleys. Bentley owners out there, uh, I'm sorry. I like to apologize, uh, but I don't like them. They're ugly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, sure. I'm sure Johnny Ive would uh, would uh, love this. Um, although Ryan also says after the new Apple Campus, this the car is the only thing left. Uh, I don't think Johnny Ive designed the Apple Campus. I think there was a w- world-famous architect who designed the new Apple Campus.
0: Well, he's had a big hand in it. Though, I'm right? sure.
1: And the materials on the inside and all that. I'm sure he's been involved, right? But it, it's I, I think not at the level like he designs hardware. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because I think that that profile kind of spoke about him really being involved in it, right? Like, was it in New York Times or something? Do you remember that big, big Johnny Ive profile?
1: Yeah, sure.
0: And I, think, I think that's where that might have come from, whether it's true or not, like as to how much involvement he actually had. Uh, but they were really you know, kind of talking about I- that. I'm sure, but he's
1: like, uh, you know, he's part, he's one of the clients, Uh, you know, he's the client, but there is an architecture firm that's building the thing. And I I don't, I think it's, but that uh, probably a lot of what Johnny Ive does these days is at that level of remove where he's, you know, he's looking at the big picture of a lot of stuff and then maybe he's diving into very specific things and perhaps the car is a place for him to play. I feel like, I feel like the design of the shape of the car while I don't want to say it's not important to Apple doing a car, but I think I would say it's not the most difficult thing about Apple doing a car. So um, yeah, I, I guess I would say to Ryan, yeah, um, it, it's interesting to think about Johnny Ive doing this and having it be an interesting challenge to keep him engaged at Apple. Um, I, I I don't dispute that. Um, I just that that's about as far as i'd go i think i think in the in the grand scheme of things it's not really uh an important aspect of the story and it's not the hardest thing that they have to do about like how it, how it looks i think i i'm intrigued to think of what an apple designed car might actually look like inside and out uh that 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 intrigues me but i feel like there's just so much more to the story than just that that, that that's sort of how i approach it
0: you wrote a big review thing about uh, usb interfaces for audio work um can you talk a little bit about this and why you did it uh yeah i tried uh to deal with the fact that we have uh, i get a lot
1: of questions about like what microphone should i use like i'm i'm a podcaster and i'm looking for a better microphone what microphones should i use and we've talked a lot about uh you know there are usb microphones where you have a microphone you plug it into your computer and you use that and then the, the like, Blue Yeti is one of those, and there are a bunch of those. Uh, and then there are the XLR microphones, which are traditional, more traditional microphones. They've got a big, thick cable, and then you plug those into a USB interface, and that is what goes to the computer and converts the audio signal into something that the that's a digital signal that the computer can understand. And I didn't have enough experience with the low-cost uh, audio interfaces to make any recommendations there, so I bought like five of them that were 150 dollars ish or below and uh, tested them and basically came up with uh, a recommendation of what I thought the 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 right one to buy is if you are looking to go to an XLR a low cost XLR interface right now and the Tascam USB uh, 2x2 for I think it was streeting at 119 when I when I wrote the story is uh is the one that I like the best it's super kind of heavy industrial feeling which I, I like i don't love the design of it but i feel like it's the best in terms of uh the it and the presonus audio box 2 2 were um were the best in terms of the sound quality and uh the tascam has the headphone jack on the front <laughs> mm. and the presonus has the headphone jack on the back which i do not understand and so for me i feel like that was enough to kind of like nudge plus the personas was was a lot more it was like 50 dollars more uh so the tascam is the one that i like the best but i feel like right now um Oh, and I use the, those microphones that Marco really likes that are the $20 knockoffs of the Shure microphones. And I, I found that one of the problems with them is that they're really prone to interference if you get it near a a source of interference. So if you're like-, like A cell
0: phone or something.
1: Or a computer, right? And, and like if you're right next to the computer with those microphones, they put out, they're they, they very noisy in the mm-hmm. way that the Shure microphones aren't. And uh, so yes, you could get a task game in one of those pile uh, cheap microphones. And if you're in the right- uh, place and you've you got your cables p- positioned so that they're not going over a power source or something and draining the interference you could get a fairly good sounding cheap setup for about 140 bucks 130 bucks uh you gotta buy some cables and stuff uh that all said it still feels to me like your best option is something like the uh like the audio technica atr 2100 which is a it's a usb mic that also is an xlr mic if you want it to be all the links for these are in the
0: review by the way which will be in the show notes
1: yeah and it's it's uh you know that one is is a relatively inexpensive microphone that is it's about 60 bucks and it's a usb microphone and it repels uh sound (laughs) that unless you're very close to it it like really shuts down like echoes and things aren't picked up you've got to be very close to it when you talk it, But, uh, you know, you should be that you should do that anyway. That's what it's for. It's for you being close to it and talking and being on a podcast. So, um, I've got one of those here. I'm going to spend a little more time with that one too. So I can, I can see for myself, but from, from everything that everybody I've talked to who's used it a lot, uh, that seems to be the best, the best buy. Um, so the XLR stuff, it's really for like people who want to record multiple microphones at once, um, or have, you know, have them be more, uh, you know, flexible about being able to plug them into soundboards, uh, or, or remote recordings plus attached to a computer. But I'd say for most people, regular old people who, who are doing podcasts a little bit, uh, a USB mic, like the Audio-Technica mic is probably the best bet. I've recommended the Yeti over the years, but the Audio-Technica mic is cheaper. And I think it, I think it, uh, from everything I've heard, and again, I need to spend more time with it myself. It seems to sound better and it's cheaper and it's more reliable. The only thing that's got going against it is it doesn't seem to have a mic, uh, mute, uh, it doesn't have a mute button on it, so you have to kind of like mute Skype or something like that. But for most people, that's not a big deal.
0: One thing that I don't like about the um, Tascam yeah. is that a lot of the settings are, are in software.
1: Yeah, there are. I, I mentioned that there, there. It's not a lot, but there are some preferences basically that you have to open a like a little control panel and check the box in order yeah. to set it. Instead of having it be like on the very expensive ones that we have, there are dip switches that mm-hmm. are for all the settings, so you never have to have any software. You don't have to have any software on the task cam to record, but if you want to like tell it to monitor in stereo instead of mono through the headphones, you actually do have to launch a piece of software and check a box and then close the piece of software. But most of it's not like that, but, uh, still, still, I feel like that one, that one is, 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 again for 120 bucks that's a pretty good deal uh and you'll you live with some of the downsides of that
0: yeah i mean look if i'm paying 120 dollars, then like if the software dies after two years and i can't change sentence anymore like i've not blown a lot of money like if i was you know something like the the usb pre which we use which is what like 600 bucks if that was software configurable i would never buy it um but i you know i It's just a bit like, ah, I really wish that this wasn't the case, you know, like it's it's just like I really would much prefer to have all of the settings be physical as opposed to software.
1: Yeah, I agree i i definitely agree um and it's harder to get that on a cheap piece of stuff one thing i will say is i i'm not a fan i had somebody recommend another one of these things that's you know it's sort of like a next generation mixer and it's got a screen and it's got special software and um i tried one of those and i don't like them like more more special software i i i you shouldn't have to install custom special software in order to get your mixer to work and in fact uh what you're doing there. We had this happen in Macworld where twice our mixer basically was fine and we couldn't use it anymore because we had to stop updating our hardware and software or it would stop working. <laughs> and that's not cool where like the developer, the, the, the builder of the hardware, uh, keeps the software up to date for a couple of years. And then there's an OS update that breaks it. And the hardware manufacturer is like, sorry, and uh, that doesn't happen when it's just a kind of a vanilla USB device that you plug in and it just works with the software and doesn't require your special stuff in order to function. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, I know this is really insidery, but I actually, I had just this weekend, I was talking to somebody about like what's what's my podcast setup and, you know, what should I buy and things like that. So I decided that I, I um, that was an area Marco Armand didn't kind of go too far down into when he did his big microphone roundup. Yep. And so I kind of wanted to do it just so I could say, you know, Basically, the task game is good, the PreSonus is good uh, and I didn't like the the focus right scarlets and you know there was another one that was okay um, just so I can I can start down that path of being able to say that with some authority instead
0: of it being like, well, I hear <laughs> that this one's
1: okay, but I don't actually know.
0: Yeah, I'm, this is a good resource to have. I think that it's it's interesting to do the, the lower price stuff because I, I do really feel like, at least just so from me being in and around this all day, that more people are wanting to get involved in this, like mm-hmm. people wanted to start blogs. Like I'm starting yeah. to feel that that kind of um, enthusiast, like I have a thing that I like to talk about and I want to do this and I, I know I don't want to spend too much money but I want exactly to make it sound right. good. You know? like yeah, I,
1: they don't want to spend hundreds of dollars and, and, but they, but some people it's like, yeah, but I also don't want it to sound bad. So, um, you know, you have to kind of balance that. I think, I think right now, like I said, I think that may be the audio technical mic 60 bucks with a really good microphone. That's a USB microphone. Uh, that might be, that might be a good, uh, a good place for people to start, but definitely I, I get that sense. And I've said this before, you know, a few years ago, I did a panel at a science fiction convention about podcasting. And it really struck me that the people there really were excited about podcasting, but they were not like. A thirty-dollar microphone—they're like, that's kind of pricey. Like, th- these are people with not not a lot of money to spend on technology. So uh, that was a good perspective to have. For all the talk of spending, you know, we as professional podcasters might decide to spend $800 on on microphones and a mixer and all of that. But I think it's really important to try and find that product. Like Marco's yeah. number one and two products are, are like these $600 microphones that require a multi-hundred dollar uh, USB interface to work. And it's like, that's great, but... Um, you know, that, that's for a tiny percentage of the audience and the, the, the bigger percentage is going to be people who are on a budget and they want something that sounds good, that isn't going to break the bank. And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to look at is, uh, you know, in that's in, in that price range, you know, 150 and below what, what is there?
0: Yeah. I mean, me and you got to the levels that we're at right now after many years of using cheaper microphones. Totally. Yeah. Right. So like this, it's just a progression. If you, if you become really serious about it, not necessarily like, oh, it's a business for you, but it's something that you consider to, you end up getting very serious about as time goes on, as with any kind of hobby, really, you'll start spending more and more money on it. And that's when you can go to get something like the Neumann KMS 105, which is what I use now. (laughs) And I love it. Um, But even then, like that was a, it was even a big step for me because Boy, it weren't cheap, but um, this microphone for me is absolutely fantastic. But this is what you do all day, right? Exactly. Like the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, wow, that's my voice. That's how my voice sounds. Um, And this is the microphone that's been the closest to be able to reproduce the way that I hear myself. And that's why I love it. Yeah. All right. So there's something that I wanted to just bring up because me, and you spoke about this a long time ago. Um... Dropbox yeah. it seems to be announcing and trialing out something called Dropbox Infinite. Now, I can't for the life of me work out if this is going to be something that's available for everyone or just for business. Um, I think I feel like it's going to be available for everyone, and basically, what it is is it's making Dropbox on desktop computers a little bit more like Dropbox on mobile. So, on iPhone apps and Android apps, you see kind of placeholders for your files, which you can then click and access, and it will download the data from Dropbox. And now they're looking at do, trying to do this on desktop as well. So you'll be able to save for maybe for specific files and specific folders. Um, I don't want that 20 gigabyte file always taking up hard drive space unless I need it. And then you can go and grab it. So this is. Defeating something that me and you spoke about a long time ago, which is like I have a one terabyte Dropbox account and I don't have any machine that has a terabyte of data on it. So I can never fill it up. And this is now hopefully going to be what can solve that problem.
1: Yeah, it's uh I wrote about this on Six Colors too. It's um it's interesting. They announced it at a business conference. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's only a business feature. Also that they're testing it with their they had like a weird phrase for it, like their their oh what do they call them um so, uh, sponsor customers i don't even know what that is um but yeah my my feeling is this has to be part of their core product eventually maybe it's not maybe it's not there for free users although even there i think you could argue that it probably should be the idea here is too fundamental to how dropbox works the idea that um that you can see everything on your dropbox and then choose what syncs and doesn't sync into your hard drive space or maybe even uh choose the maximum amount of dropbox space to take up and have it sort of cache things um on the fly down the road so um i think those are all important uh features and they're key to the 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 fundamentals of dropbox it means you don't have to fish around in the uh selective syncing button uh, in the settings in order to say oh no that giant folder i don't i don't want it because th- the truth is yeah our, our our hard drives i've got a i've got a terabyte hard drive on my imac an ssd um and it it doesn't it's not it can't fit that right <laughs> it's like it, it can't fit just my dropbox folder because it's got the rest of it that it has to it has to deal with um i don't know and i take it back i don't even have the terabyte i have the half terabyte i have the 500 gigabyte Storage, So I literally can't on any of my devices, except for my server in my house, sync my Dropbox entirely. So this is cool because you can say, you know, sync these files uh, or even double click on a file and it syncs over and then opens. Um, so it's smart. And uh, I I went down, there's a Hacker News thread from somebody who used to work at Dropbox, who said that it's a very smart feature that he thought that it was, um, even at the command line level, it does the right thing. So... Uh, it's, you know, they, they, they put a lot of work into this and it works on Mac and Windows um, to to have it be that you basically, your files are there on demand and you can also set them to be there at all times if you are going to go offline. Uh, and I think it's the right thing to do for Dropbox because they are making all of this, uh, you know, if you pay for Dropbox, even as an individual, you get a terabyte of storage and you probably can't use it all locally, nor should you need to use it all locally. Like my, um, I'm going to review the MacBook and I set it up with Dropbox so I could get a lot of my files, and it wants to download my Dropbox. I have to like check a bunch of boxes. I'm like, no, 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 don't don't download any of these things. It still wants to download a huge amount of data. I would much rather be able to turn Dropbox on on that computer and have it see my Dropbox, yeah. but not download anything until I tell it to. That's a much better experience. So I hope Dropbox uh, rolls this out, not just for its business customers, but for everybody, certainly for all of its paying customers, because I think it just makes the metaphor of the product
0: uh, more in line with reality of uh, of devices today. Plus, calling it infinite is so genius. What a fantastic brand name. Like, I just love that. It's perfect. Project Infinite.
1: Yeah. It's the, and I had the terabyte conundrum, was what I had been talking about. So, Project Infinite has solved the terabyte conundrum.
0: Sounds very scientific.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all science. Should we take a break?
0: Yeah. We're happy to say that this week's episode is, of course, brought to you by our friends over at. Squarespace. They are the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page website or online store. Start building your own website today at squarespace.com and you want to use the offer code upgrade at checkout because this will get you 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. With Squarespace, you'll have everything that you need to build a professionally designed looking website, regardless of your skill level, doesn't matter how much coding experience you have. Everything is drag and drop and super easy to configure and customize. Squarespace has state of the art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability at all times. They're trusted by millions of people around the world and by huge companies too. This is also great if you have someone in your life that wants to set up a website. And one of the great reasons that it's so good is not only is it easy for them to do it and customize it themselves, or even for you to get it set up for real quick, once it's done, you can not have to worry about it anymore because Squarespace has 24-7 customer support with live chat and email. You won't have to have any more questions fired at you for how do I do this and how do I do this. Just send them over to Squarespace and they'll help them out. They have teams located in New York, Dublin and Portland who are there to help you whenever you need it or to help you know your family member with the website that they want to get set up. Squarespace have a commerce platform so you can add a store to your site to sell things which is great. They have rock solid fast hosting, cover page functionality and so much more. If you sign up for a year, Squarespace will give you a free domain name allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called and their plans start at just $8 a month. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card needed today and start building your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com. Then when you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code UPGRADE, it will get you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring today's episode and for helping us out at Relay FM. Alright, so it's been a few days since the last Apple results came out. And usually on this show, I don't know if it really gets in that often because it usually comes out like the day after and then the week goes by and it's like, okay, everyone made a bunch of money, congratulations. Yay! But this one wasn't so much like that.
1: No! It wasn't.
0: I, me, and Federico had a had a long conversation on connected about this, right? um, In which I really felt a lot of what you were talking about, but maybe we should actually have a conversation about it too, because your take, I, I, when I was reading your articles, the many thousands of words that you've written about the last Apple results, I was feeling quite a conflict in you, which you can correct me if I'm wrong. Because there was, you know, there is the whole argument, which it kind of frustrates me of, oh, but, you know, they made so much money. So it was not too bad. It was actually really great. Uh, But then on the other side of it, there's also the fact that, like, this is the first time in 13 years where the numbers are down. And, you know, no matter how you want to place it, Apple decides that they want to be in the Wall Street world. They participate in it. You know they are a public company. You know they made the decision and they pay everybody yeah, like attention. Forty years ago, they made the decision. <laughs> yeah, but, but yes. they go ahead and they pay the attention that they need to uh-huh. everyone, and they have the conference calls and well, stuff, they, have to. Right? they have to. They yeah. have to.
1: they have to. They have to do it. This they're a public company. That's just how it is.
0: Yeah. Right, but like you know, but what I'm saying is that they are involved in that scenario. Uh-huh. Um, so it's they, the world they're in, they are in that world, and that is part. And they play to it, and they do what they need to do to try and help. You know, they, they definitely don't ignore the share price, right? They, they make decisions and do things to try and influence that, I'm sure, because they're a public company. So the fact that the results have changed and that they're now down year on year, which is the first time it's happened in 13 years, has made this results and then the next ones peculiar. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, writing about Apple, one of the challenges is there's so much stupid stuff that's written about Apple. That it's problematic to get around. Um, uh, yeah, there the, are the knee-jerk reactions. Like I, I, I mentioned this on uh, maybe on the Six Colors podcast. I, me- I mentioned that there was a the Colbert Report did a or not report right the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert played a video about his monologue was about the Apple results last week. At one point, it was just just kind of mind-boggling to think about it. Um, and he's a he's a big Apple guy. He's got all the devices. He's had a video at the keynote. All those things, right? But the 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 local news broadcast that they played was Apple releases its worst results, its worst corporate results in 13 years or something. And that's that's the challenge about this story. It's not technically inaccurate. No, no it's wrong. That is that is the wrong statement because because that is making it about second level. It's about growth, right? No, actually, Apple released its what fifth most profitable quarter? Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, eighth okay. most profitable quarter. There, it's their it's their worst result in like six quarters, in terms of profit, in terms of revenue. The only thing it's the worst in thirteen years is year over year growth. Uh, and this is the challenge of writing about this, right? Is, uh, or talking about it, is how do you define that? And if you define it by the way Wall Street defines it, which is perfectly valid, and, and this is this is part of the, the challenge that I, I feel and that you probably sense, is I don't like it when people who should know better say, it's totally unfair that Apple's stock price goes down after they report their earnings because they made a lot of money. Um, and this year... You know, it, it happens all the time, but it certainly happened this quarter. I, I, I that really bothers me because come on, this is how Wall Street works. The expectations of where the company is going are built into the stock price already. They have given guidance. They know people know what the results are going to be, and then the Wall Street is reacting to future growth, future ways to make money with this company because you put your money into it and you want to see it grow. Now, what I would say is that um that distorts our view of businesses. (laughs) So it's a little bit of both. Like it's so easy to be like that local news reporter and just say Apple had its worst quarter in 13 years. And it's just not true. Investors are unhappy with Apple's least amount of growth or in this case, negative growth of shrinkage year over year in 13 years but that is so specific and i think if that's your your mark of whether something was good or not you are you are really deep down in uh, a distorted view of of the world. Now, if you're an investor, if you're an institutional investor, if you're a Wall Street uh, person, then that's how you view the world because you're viewing it through that lens. But you know what? Most people aren't. <laughs> and I think it's misleading. So I think when you, under- you want to understand what, what we saw, you need to look at all of it. You need to look at the fact that, yes, all of Apple's products were receding last quarter year over year. Absolutely true. Do not soft pedal it. Um, it's going to get worse or at least continue to be bad. That's one of the things I, meant, I, I I said to end one of the pieces I wrote last week. Their guidance is down next quarter too, right? I mean, 2016 is going to be down every quarter from 2015 for Apple. That's just how it's going to be. Um, it's interesting to wonder why and look at the, um, the the story Apple's telling, which is that the uptake on the 6 was huge. And the uptake on the 6s is sort of like a little better than the 5s, which means perhaps what we're really seeing here is uh, an aberration because the 6 was such a huge hit because there was so much pent up enthusiasm for a big Apple phone that drove sales of the six. And that if you take the six um, out of the equation entirely, sort of delete 2015, then 2016 seems like a reasonable follow-on of slow growth from 2014. But 2015 was this aberrant success. And if everything you measure is year over year, guess what? That was the mountaintop. (laughs) Even if you keep growing from here slowly, year over year, you're going to look terrible. So... Um, I'm not saying that they are going to continue growing. They could shrink, and that that's part of the fear I think that drives some of the uh, the stock price stuff. But you know, so so there's a lot going on here, I guess, and and it's complicated because what I don't want to do is say no, no, everything's going to be fine. Apple's great. It doesn't matter because, like to your point, this is the game that they're playing, and they have ridden their success that they've been riding has not just been about profits and revenue. It has also been about growth, and you can't suddenly say, well, it's really just about profits and revenue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can't ignore the fact that for the last, was, how many years was it again? 13, right? Thirteen. You can't ignore for the fact that for the last 13 years, we've all been like, look how great we're doing, you know? And then when this happens, it's like, oh, no, but it's not about that anymore. Because yeah. we've all been so excited to see those graphs go up. It's one, right. It's one of the
1: dimensions of Apple's success that has- stopped and you can't say now it doesn't matter. And it was really about the other two. That said, you also can't say it's the only one that matters. Well, mm-hmm. uh, you can. And if you're a wall street investor, you can, I yeah. would argue that most people should not do that. Right. Because I actually think it's corrosive. If the endless, the endless quest for growth as the only thing that's valuable destroys companies with good great profitable businesses that could potentially jeopardize those businesses because they need to find the next growth thing and that's my that's one of my worries about apple is that apple's going to get so concerned with growth that they're going to lose focus you know even more over their core products because they've got to find the next big thing whether it's a car or something else right that i do that worries me a little bit but you know so so i think it's healthy to say look apple is very profitable And has huge revenue. And the only way that we're concerned about this is because 2015 was so good. And by pre-2015 Apple standards, this quarter was actually quite good. (laughs) It's just that last year was so good that this year doesn't look as good. Um, and and I, I think it's, that's, that's complicated, right? That's not a, it was great. It was terrible. Everything's going to be fine. Everything is awful, right? It's not either of those things. It's kind of in the middle. And so it's a challenge. And I know people, people on both, both sides of those arguments are also up in arms and trying to find, uh, you know, find people who are behaving the other way and attack them too. I got a little of that. Uh, I wrote a, a piece for iMore on Friday that was like literally, um, if you take the iPhone out of the equation, what ha- what's happening with Apple's other businesses? And the whole goal of it was to say, let's not lose sight because the graph is so huge on the iPhone that it, and we've lost the scale of what the Mac business does, where it chugs along making, you know,
0: Starbucks profits every year, essentially. Um yeah, also that, that, that profit number, like that's something that people bring up a lot. And that's another thing that kind of frustrates me, you know, like, oh, they, you know, even on a down quarter, they make more profit than X company. But like, it's all relative, though, you know? Like, I know that people are like, oh, why are we ignoring the fact that they've made so much profit? But they've made so much profit for so long that now it's kind of just the number, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, but in the end, I, I as you know your profit is what keeps you afloat is that they're For making sure. they're making a profit i, I don't have a problem i mean profits like i said revenue is important profit is important and growth is important they're all important and they have hit a bump on on growth but they're still profitable and that that's you know it leads i think one of the issues is it can lead to a narrative that like apples in trouble which is funny because Apple's not in trouble. Apple has really shown no signs of trouble. The only trouble Apple is in is with investors who wanted to have a continual uh, huge growth percentage every year because I don't think that's going to happen, right? And so they should be in trouble for that. And that's the other part of this is you can't soft pedal that. It's like, yeah. I mean, one of the analysts asked Tim Cook, do you see this? Are you still a growth company? And he did not answer that question. He totally sidestepped that question and said, no, no, I'm really optimistic about how great things are. And he didn't answer the question. And I think it's a fair question to ask, which is, you know, yeah, I know you've got room for some smart incremental smart. phone growth here but is apple going to be a company that grows 20% year over year regularly again or is it going to be a company that doesn't grow a whole lot maybe a little tiny bit but will continue to throw off 10-15 billion dollars in profit every quarter which makes it one of the most profitable businesses in the world but it's not growing anymore and that's you know that I think that's a fair question to ask Um, but that's different from Apple's losing money, you know, iPhone sales are in the tank. Uh, I think the iPhone quarter was like, again, the, uh, if you go back five quarters or six quarters, it would have been the record number of iPhones sold. It's just that last year, year and year and a quarter that, that were even higher. So, um, it's about keeping perspective like, but, but, um, it's, it's weird, right? Because it's, it's, profitable and lots of revenue, but it's not growing anymore. And you gotta, you gotta call it that you gotta, you gotta admit that that is not happening. Um, and that's a, you know, it's a muddy argument to make. Um, there was a lot of other interesting stuff, by the way, in the, in the, in the numbers, which is why I wrote so many stories last week about it, because, you know, beyond the big picture of like, Oh no, they lost, you know, they, they, they failed to grow year over year for the first time in 13 years. Absolutely true. Um, there, there were some other interesting things in the numbers, but, I don't know it's it's it was a weird quarter and i think people just need to, to who are um thinking oh well they'll turn it around next quarter they're not gonna they're not gonna <laughs> the guidance is what it is that's one of the reasons that the stock was down is not just because of their results because the results were within guidance it's because their guidance for next quarter is more of the same and traditionally that is a down quarter over the second financial quarter and they said it would be down year over year so it's gonna, you know, this this will happen again. The gnashing of teeth will happen again in three months. So get ready. And probably in six months too.
0: <sighs> still there, still with me? Yeah, I am, I am. Uh, one of the things that I liked that you pointed out that I didn't really uh, see too much of, and I know Dr. Drang wrote something about this a while ago, is if you imagine 2015 never happened, there was no problem. And it really did seem like 2015 was just this year for Apple that may never happen again and you kind of would hope wouldn't happen again because it was just too much in one year, right? It was like there was too much stuff happening. Think of the pent-up demand for a
1: a bigger iPhone. I mean, bottom line, the pent-up demand for a bigger iPhone. The the people wanted to get a bigger iPhone, whether they were using an Android phone because they wanted a bigger phone, and were like, "Oh, finally, I can get an iPhone that's big," or they were iPhone users. They're like, "Yeah, it not, nothing really excites me. I'm going to stick with this phone." And then the big the six come six and six plus come out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, now is the time." But for whatever reason, the six was a huge hit. And you're measuring growth. That's the problem. <laughs> is if you have a huge hit, then. Measuring growth, the next one has to be huger, <laughs> and if it's not, then you've just lost your growth. That's that's how it works. That's that's how math math works. So it's a uh, it's true. Dr. Drang wrote that piece in January too. Grouper linked to it. I I was looking at it. it, it, it he called it right, which is the. You know, if you look at 2015 from Apple and thought, aha, look, they're accelerating again and they're going to put this, these numbers up in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, it's just going to keep on going to the stratosphere. If you thought that you absolutely should be disappointed. Um, I, I could argue that nobody should have really thought that, but, um, that's that, but the, the fact remains, <laughs> the fact remains that they're not selling iPhone sixes like they sold iPhone sixes for whatever reason. Um, Can we talk about the iPhone SE for a second? Of course. I thought this was really uh, one of the fascinating things about the uh, about the the call was the iPhone SE, uh, the call with analysts. Because, (laughs) so when's the last time that an iPhone was like unable to be purchased because it was oversold? Like the last couple of years, they've gotten really good at making lots and lots of iPhones so that they could fill the channel. But the iPhone SE, they can't make them fast
0: enough which I I find interesting. I feel like there has to be qualification, though, because how many did Apple expect to sell? Because if they didn't expect to sell a lot and they've sold some, then it's a different scenario, right? We don't know those numbers. I think that's why it's interesting, though,
1: is that they copped to it in the
0: call. They said, we
1: didn't expect this much demand for the iPhone SE. So that's good. I think maybe it says as much about Apple's... um, internal culture as it
0: does about the iphone se right and that they just were like no one wants this this is just a placeholder product well
1: i mean we and we've heard it from people in our community too that uh for when we talked about the four inch phone last year we heard from a lot of people are like bigger is better you know iphone people a little less than people who have more exposure to android but the on the android side the the point of pride of having gigantic phone sizes Especially when the iPhone didn't have them, was like part of the culture, and 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 on tech sites you would definitely see it. Like bigger is better, bigger is always better, and the iPhone SE goes against that. It's a, it's not, it's not bigger, and uh, I think people, at least some people at Apple, I suspect, fall into that trap of like, come on, nobody wants the, a small phone anymore. Everybody likes a big phone. The fact is, there's an audience for the small phone they were selling an old version of the small phone and getting like 13% of the iPhones sold were the old version of the small phone. So, the fact that they admitted that they and very specifically admitted that they misjudged demand for us uh, for this phone because it was smaller. That they realized now that there was a market that they didn't that they underestimated who wanted the smaller phone. So, I think it's kind of cool because I think the iPhone SE is actually a little bit of a sleeper hit. That it took Apple by surprise. That Apple was thinking maybe it was more for people who couldn't afford a more expensive phone, and whether it was in an international market or whether it was even in uh, their the the richer places, that it was going to be like their downscale thing because they cut the price on it and didn't realize that there was actually this whole additional market of people that was that just don't want a bigger phone. Which I think we all tried to tell. The world about, <laughs> but uh, there's there was always skepticism about it, and they and Tim Cook copped to it, which I thought was really kind of uh, interesting. He's like, "Yep, we underestimated this, and so we are in out of balance with our production, and we have to ramp up production to fulfill the need for the the iPhone SE." And I I, I don't think that means anything beyond maybe it will be 17 or maybe even if it's they're really uh, going good, 20 percent of the mix of iPhones uh, for this year, but uh, still. I think that's really interesting that they, that that product has sold better than expected and that they, uh, that they were kind of caught unaware of how many people wanted
0: a smaller phone. So here's the, the other part of it, then, right? We have been expecting that this will be the product that will remain for many years to replace the 5S. If the demand is this great, may it encourage Apple to update this phone more frequently?
1: wouldn't wouldn't surprise me uh I still am imagining this is on a two year cycle but who knows? Um, I think one of the one of the challenges everybody faces, and this was another question that came up that I feel like Tim Cook didn't have a good answer to on the analyst call, is uh, sticker shock. Is the idea that people are, are uh, especially in in countries like the U.S. where we used to bury everything in a two-year contract, people are seeing the actual prices of phones now, and is that going to lengthen the amount of time between purchases of phones? Um, and uh, so that's a question of like do you really need a new iphone se every year or is every other year okay because the 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 speed of the iphone 6s and the features of the iphone 6s are going to be fine in a year no they won't be the same as the seven but they're close enough that it'll be okay um we'll we'll see i mean i think one of the great things that the se has going for it is that price that it's got you know for 399 you you just get the phone and it's yours and that's free and clear um And that's a, you know, Apple needs to, uh, without contracts in those markets, the prices matter more and you can't hide that you've been buying, oh, I didn't realize I've been buying a $700 phone every two years. Well, yeah, you have. It's been in your phone bill that whole time, but uh, now it's out right in your face and that can change buying behavior. So that may accumulate
0: to the, the, the success of a product like the SE too. I don't know. I'll wait and see on this one. I mean, you know, we're never we're never going to get the numbers, but no, we're not. Ne- well, they
1: might they might throw out one of those, you know, unchartable tidbits like they did with the saying that they sold a certain, you know, how many million four inch iPhones did they sell in the last year when they announced the SE? That was a yeah. We don't know. We don't know the time period exactly. You know. But they threw that out there. So they may do that again at some point with the SE to say, you know, it's actually been a very successful product. It's, it's made up. They might even say it's made up 15% of our mix or 20% of our mix. And and that's all we'll ever hear about it. But they might, it's possible that they'll do that at some point. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is services, just because I thought that was the, another interesting thing that came up in the call is... Um, You know, the last quarter, they did the whole appendix. And I think we talked about it here, about how like, hey, everybody, look how much money we make on services. And I think the service line actually surpassed. It was the only um, product line that grew (laughs) uh, this quarter. And I think services revenue like met or eclipsed Mac revenue. And this is, you know, it's App Store and Apple Music and stuff like that. Um oh they also said that their music sales have been falling which they've never talked about before but they talked about it in the context of Apple Music halting the fall of Apple's music revenue which I thought was interesting never talk about the
0: bad news only talk about when the bad news is over apparently so why uh, would the why would Apple Music stop the fall of music sales uh well it's mu- music revenue music revenue okay so they right? they they're encapsulating the subscription inside of that as well
1: at least for the purposes of this conversation where yeah. they basically said that their their music revenue is going down and now it's reached what they they called an inflection point so it's probably still down but has stopped its fall and they yep. anticipate that it will go back up because apple music subscriptions are now offsetting the loss in itunes sales well, um you know like the yeah.
0: services thing is where they have to go next right it's like you potentially you know, with, with a bunch of caveats, Apple have sold iPhones to the maximum amount of people that will want to buy them, right? That's kind of what the numbers would suggest, right? If the growth yeah. on the iPhone is stopping, then they, everybody that wants one within reason has got one. So now how do you make more money out of those people? I think that's the next question that they're looking to answer. Apple Music is one of them. Uh, Apple Video might be another one, you know, and they, they're going to maybe. maybe more stuff with the App Store, um, and, and then you can carry on from there because you have these uh, money-making machines in people's hands. Uh, how do you squeeze the money out of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, Apple would would say that they still have room for growth, that they're seeing record numbers of Android switchers and that there are, are markets that they are growing in that they, ha- that they, like India, where they have not been in before and that they feel like they can make an impact. And there's some skepticism among people who know that market about that. But um, it's, uh, yeah... It, the thing that I am intrigued by about this whole services thing is when they brought this up last time, I I really felt like uh, it gave me the, the, the heebie-jeebies a little bit. It made me a little concerned that what Apple was saying is we're going to nickel and dime you, <laughs> that we're going to we're going to scrape even more money out of all of our existing customers and find ways to do growth there because that's all we can do now to find growth We're we, we need to find growth somewhere we're desperate for it. iPhone sales are are slacking off in terms of growth. And uh, so the way only way we're going to grow is just just pull more money out of every single iPhone user. And that leads to a bad place potentially, right? That leads to a place where, you know, what they're selling you is kind of an empty box. And then you get it open and it starts asking you buy this, buy this, buy this other feature, you know, in-app purchases for OS features or whatever right um and that really reduces the user experience that makes it that's you know apple's supposed to be this maker of a premium product you should be paying for the product and get a good product and then if there are additional services you want that should sort of like that you should naturally flow into them and not have them throw up a big barrier that says you know nope you really need to pay for this thing even though you thought that you should get that for free Um, and somebody I've been thinking this all along, but somebody else uh, called them on it. Um, Steve Milanovic of UBS asked on the phone call, um, is it a driver of earnings or is it more about creating ecosystems to support the hardware? And uh, that that was a question I had. So thank you to Steve Milanovic for asking it. And Tim Cook's response was, the most important thing is the customer experience. Overwhelmingly the thing that drives us Uh, is to uh, embark on services that help become part of the ecosystem. And that in doing so, we've created a profitable business that grows. So we wanted to call it out. Um, And I felt like that was exactly the response I wanted to hear. Because what it it was is Cook saying, "Look, no, what we're not saying is that we're going to keep cranking up services revenue by nickel and diming our customers. We haven't changed our philosophy there. We we made this a big deal because it's growing a lot. And we want to we want to show that off but we're not we're not expressing a shift in strategy to try to squeeze more money out of our existing user base now you know maybe they will anyway but uh he said the right thing and i i'm I'm taking some encouragement from that because i was a little worried that this is one of those cases where well if apple really is trying to drive growth would they compromise here would they compromise and start making the products worse essentially unless you pay
0: well, I mean, you know, there, there's some grumbling in the chat room over this, and, and I see it. Like, if you're not an Apple Music subscriber, the music app really tries to make you. Yeah,
1: open. I know. It keeps it keeps uh p- putting it right
0: in your face. It's it's really annoying. And you know what that is? That's big company mentality, you know? It's like the the, the person who's got the target, and they decide to keep prompting you about it. I mean, that's yeah. why, look, I'm not worried. I'm not running for the hills. But hearing things like that and seeing things like this, this is how these things tend to roll, right? Like company needs growth. Company decides that they have service. Company needs to sell service so they keep hijacking parts of their uh, software to show service to you.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I, mean, I wouldn't have been as concerned as I was when that appendix came out if I weren't already kind of mad about the fact that they have the free five gigabytes f- for one account iCloud storage thing that they haven't changed that I think is a huge usability problem. I hear from lots of regular people who say, "Oh, I'm getting this iCloud. I'm, something's wrong with my phone. I'm getting this iCloud error. What should I do? It's telling me to pay." And it's like they feel like they're being held hostage by their iPhone unless they pay Apple. Like for for basic backup, that should probably Apple should probably change the way that works so that you know the average user can get by with a a a a backup of their most important stuff without paying and then open up to like, look at all the things you can do by paying for more space. Um, And they, you know, and they haven't, they haven't gotten that together. Families can't share their iCloud storage space, uh, which is a problem too, because I am actually paying for more iCloud storage space, but my wife's phone still tells her that she needs to pay for more backup. And I'm not going to pay Apple again. For storage space that i already have right so she just gets those errors and i try to manage her backups or back her up to a computer and so yeah these things all erode the user experience so i was glad to hear kim cook say that because at the very least that implies that they're not admitting that they're doing this <laughs> or that maybe they are going to not push as hard into it as they could uh, but it doesn't mean that this isn't going to be an ongoing problem which is shiny shiny service revenue looks really good. How do we make more of that? And the answer is we get in the way of everybody who uses the music app on their iPhone and try to sell them Apple Music. And we get, you know, and we we throw up a, an emergency scary dialogue box about failed storage, uh, ba- failed uh, amounts of, uh, failed backup because of uh, not having enough storage as a way to upsell them on iCloud storage space. That's not, you know, that's not a good user experience, which is what Apple should be focused on. I don't, I don't, uh I have no problem with Apple charging for services right I mean I think that's only right and fair but it's a tough line when you're selling a, a premium bit of hardware that is a tough uh place to draw a line of what is enough and what you know when, when are you nickel and diming somebody or when, when are you giving them a generous amount for their big purchase and and then offering additional add-on services. And yep. and in some cases, they are not drawing the line in the right place. And that that's my concern.
0: Yeah, like how far away is the Apple Music ad from Kindle with special offers? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's Well, that's, that's, it's funny that it's come back to that, but it's the
1: same thing, right? For a premium product, certain kinds of requests seem inappropriate and and lead to a bad user experience. And I would say yeah, in terms of the Kindle Oasis, paying $300 for an e-reader and opening the cover, your leather cover of your super thin fancy e-reader and seeing an ad that you have to swipe every time you open the cover, I think that's a user experience problem. That's not it's not whatever you're charging for the, to turn that off. It's like it, it, it's don't do that. Just raise your price and turn it off. Because you you your product is is not that's not appropriate for that, that kind of product. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge for Apple because that services revenue is certainly tantalizing. Right. So we'll see where it goes, but I, I, what I didn't hear Tim Cook say was, oh, yes, yeah, Steve, you know, this is a new direction for us. We're very excited to increase revenue per user. Uh, we've got lots of great ideas of ways to get more money out of our existing user base. We really think that this is one of those assets that we can monetize in order to make uh, to, to, to really reignite the growth engine. And so you can look forward in the forthcoming quarters to more announcements from Apple about ways that we'll be able to charge our existing users for more of what they need out of their iPhones.
0: But on the flip side, he did say, this is our first subscription service. And you can look at that on whatever way you want to look at it.
1: Well, I think Apple offering more subscription services if they have value and if they don't get in the way of the existing product is perfectly fine. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But that's the trick. Yeah. This is a brave new world. It is
0: different. It is different.
1: And that, and you know, you see Apple trying to figure out what's their what's their business now. Are we going to do Are we going to do cars? Are we going to increase services revenue? How do we do all of this? And that's again, that's you know, that's why I thought that the numbers last year, last week were interesting. Not just the questions of what grew and what didn't grow, but uh, and we didn't even talk about the iPad, which. You know, my, my my joke about the iPad figures is I feel like they haven't hit rock bottom, but uh, the iPad can now see the bottom. So it'll, you know, it's still going to hit bottom next quarter, probably, maybe. But uh, Tim Cook was optimistic, strangely optimistic, as he always is about the iPad. But in this case, what he said was next quarter will be the best year over year compare, which is, you know, jargon. But uh, of iPad revenue, but that they would still be down on units. So I don't know what that means Mike other than to say that I guess what they are saying is that iPad year over year revenue decline will be in single digits which will be the best in a couple of years and that uh they'll they'll be down on they'll be down on units but not way down. So it's like the
0: bleeding is stopping. My imagination in that is that the iPad Pros, they make more money from maybe if they also count the pencils and the keyboards in there too. You know, yeah. They might be making more money per unit on the iPad Pro, yeah. but it doesn't fill me with a lot of optimism um, to oh, think I mean, that we still haven't <laughs> hit the bottom of this product line. How, how many ways does he qualify
1: that, right? It's like our best year-over-year comparison yep. in terms of revenue, Yep. And then meanwhile elsewhere the guidance is, yeah, units will be down. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the fact that it, you he's know, going that far and stretching it that far tells me that the use is still not good, <laughs> you know? Otherwise you just say like I'm bullish and it's gonna be a great quarter. Like, but he didn't say that.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think I this was his his corporate way of saying um we w- you know, we think we are seeing the bottom without saying it that way which is like this is good news but just as we we said earlier that uh defining the worst quarter based on growth maybe is not entirely accurate i think saying that the ipad is turning it around when what they're talking about is the reducing the rate of decline (laughs) also is not really turning it around right it's slowing the descent turning it around is increase not yeah. slowing the bad stuff yeah so like i said i think it's still waiting to hit bottom but you might be able to see the bottom like oh what's that down there thump right and they're, they're they're they haven't thumped yet they just they're just seeing like maybe there's some uh some some uh, a floor down there that they're gonna that they're gonna hit but you know cook is really good at this because in um uh, just as an aside in in uh, a segment of the call out about mainland china um, he did this incredible bit of ledger domain where he 's like well we 're down twenty six percent, but in mainland China, you know as opposed to the greater China region that we reported, we we're only down eleven percent and if you take a constant currency basis, it 's actually only seven percent and if you really look at sell through, which is totally the most important thing that we do it 's really only down five percent and like in three sentences, he went from he took it twenty six to eleven to seven to five, and then i don 't know where he goes from there, like, but yeah, in terms of shiny happiness, we 're way up, so we 're up. It's like kill me now, <laughs> just just do it. He's very good. At, he's very good at that. But I mean, come on. He's like that's how. I mean, that's why he's the CEO, I suppose. But you take a twenty six percent decline and you turn it into a five percent decline in a couple of steps by redefining what it, what you're looking at. Um, there was some of that this quarter too. So yeah, interesting times for Apple, trying to decide what it wants to be and where it goes from here, while again still presiding over a machine that is generating uh, incredibly high revenue and profits but not really knowing where uh where they're going next in terms of growth that's uh, it's going to be interesting to watch and the usual suspects will still freak out and say that apple is falling apart and it's terrible and it's doom 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 um but it's also wrong to say everything's fine because you know they are at a crossroads here so it'll be interesting to see what happens next let's finish up with some ask upgrade jason who sponsors ask upgrade this week uh, this week brought to you by the good friends that we have over at MailRoute. As always, eternally, just as people in Wall Street look for growth. Uh, businesses ask IT departments to do more with less. That's just a fact of life, including important stuff like stopping spam attacks and viruses. Uh, A a lot of the trusted hardware and software options have been uh, end of life by companies that are not focused on uh, stopping spam and virus attacks and protecting your email. Postini went away, MXLogic went away, uh, but MailRoute is here and has always been here. They have been focusing, the people behind MailRoute have been focusing exclusively on protecting your email since 1997. That was a very, very long time ago. They've been doing this a long time. Uh, And so that's why you can trust them to protect your email and hardware against spam viruses and other attacks. You don't have to install any hardware or software because if you own your own domain, you just change your MX records on your domain to filter your mail through MailRoute. So MailRoute servers live in the cloud. They take your inbound mail, including who knows what. The way the the mail system works, it could be from anywhere, it could be bad act is trying to do things to subvert your systems. Mailroute stands in their way, takes in your mail, throws out the bad stuff and then passes the good stuff on automatically to your mail server. So the load on your server goes down and the amount of junk you receive goes way down. Mailroute uh Mailroute supports lots of things like LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, outbound relay and mailbagging. Mailbagging. <laughs> That was the bell is in the bag, I guess. (laughs) Everything you'd want from the people handling your mail. And there's price matching for McAfee MX Logic customers. So stop spam today. You can get a free 30-day trial of MailRoute by going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. And since you're a listener to upgrade, you can get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. If you work in an IT department somewhere, uh, you're getting your company like a 10% discount forever. Because you listen to upgrade. How great is that? Or if you uh, don't want to go to that address, mailroute.net slash upgrade, you can also send an email to the good people at sales at mailroute.net. So MailRoute, protecting your email from spam and viruses, that's it. That's what they do. They do it better and have been doing it longer than anywhere else. Who else would you trust? Go to mailroute.net slash upgrade. And
0: thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring upgrade. <laughs> Rajiv would like to know what is the appeal of the addition of a cell radio in the Apple Watch. Wouldn't it be more cumbersome without an iPhone, Jason?
1: Yeah, yeah We we need to do a whole episode about the Apple Watch uh, today, and and we've been putting it off. So maybe next week we'll see. But um, there. Are, you know, I think it's inevitable. And I think the idea there is that the Apple Watch can count on getting data at all times, even if it can't connect to your iPhone. So I think that's... If what you're thinking is, why would I talk on the iPhone uh, or what talk, talk on the watch and not the iPhone or something like that? I think that's a fair point. But I think the idea here is uh, if you have let's say you want to go, to go for a run with your Apple Watch and you don't want to bring your iPhone with you and you can listen to music play, streamed from the Apple Watch and it'll, it'll uh, monitor your heartbeat and it'll do all of those things, which are great. But what if you get a call or what if you get a text? Right now, uh, that stuff is turned off basically because unless you're near a known Wi-Fi network, the Apple Watch can't help you um, if it's not near its its paired iPhone. So that's the advantage is data, the, the watch can get to the internet for data all the time. And that opens up a lot for apps and it allows you to be independent from the iPhone. It allows you to, uh it'll work better if it loses connection with the iPhone, which sometimes happens, even if the iPhone is around, it's got a fallback uh, in addition to Wi Fi. So I think there are lots of there are lots of reasons why it makes it a little more of an independent device. So I think, yeah, in the long run, the Apple Watch absolutely needs access to a data network, because it makes it a, a more independent product,
0: which makes it more useful. Paul would like to know where I store my watch bands. Ah. Uh, I just have them in my bedside table, in, in a drawer in my bedside table. I don't have anything fancy. I don't have like a watch band box or anything. I just have a drawer in the top drawer. They just go in there and they stay nice and snug. I uh, recently acquired, well, I actually ordered this when it came out, Um, one of the Royal Blue Nylon bands. So I have like the the gold one, which I just picked up in a store because I wanted to grab it, but I got the royal blue one and I, I really like these nylon bands a lot, a lot, a lot. They're very, very comfortable and they're much more comfortable for me than the sport bands. So mm. two thumbs up for those if you've been thinking about them. Um, I now have my second one. I think I'm up to like seven or something like that now. Watch bands. You might have. a Well, we'll talk more about watch bands maybe next time, too.
1: Um, I, I have a little basket on top of uh, my uh, the armoire next to my uh, bedside that is where the Apple Watch bands sit.
0: Much fancier. Have a basket and an armoire. I just have a bedside table. There's lots of junk in the basket.
1: (laughs) And Apple Watch bands. It's not an elegant solution, but it's a place for me to dump the Apple Watch bands when I'm not using them.
0: Brian wants to know, Jason, I have no idea for this. I want to see if you can help All Brian. Right. I want to keep the battery healthy on my Mac but keep it plugged in most of the time. Is there a way to run off the battery while still safely having it plugged in? So I'm assuming that Brian uh, has a MacBook or a MacBook Pro that he wants to just keep plugged in maybe. Yeah. He has it connected to a monitor or something. And yeah. the kind of the get the understood knowledge I think over time is that's bad for the battery. So right. how can Brian kind of keep his battery healthy? Well, one
1: of the secrets of your Mac battery is that the Mac battery, my understanding is, actually does cycle a little bit when it's plugged in. Like they will, um, the system will, when it gets full, it will actually stop charging, I believe and let it run down a little bit. I know this is true for iPhones. I think this is true for Macs too. Uh, and then it will run down a little bit and then it will charge back up. And the idea there is to not have it just be maxed out all the time. But uh, I don't think there's any way for regular users to, to do that. If they're it's right in, if there is a way. So, you know, my recommendation is, uh, I have to say it just kind of simple is run it unplugged a little bit. Uh, just, I know, and like every so often, like not even not even every week necessarily, but every so often run it unplugged and let it run down. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I am not a battery expert. I'm sure battery experts will write in. I think Apple is aware of this as an issue and tries to do some things behind the scenes, but um, I don't think there's something you can do to sort of like check a box and have the battery uh, be used while you still got your power cord engaged. I think you have to pull the plug.
0: And finally today, uh, Gary asked that um, on Six Colours, tea has been covered in the past and in the magazine mm-hmm. stuff. I know that you and Dan have gone through tea. So Gary yes. wants to know what my coffee ritual is, because I am a coffee drinker. Um, so I tend now to have two coffees a day. I've gone up from one coffee a day. Uh, mm. My morning cup. Co- all of my coffee is made of an AeroPress. Um, and I there's a company in the UK called Packed Coffee, P-A-C-T, um, and they deliver coffee me, So it's like if you've ever heard of uh, Tonks, it's like that, but in the UK. Um, And I like their coffee a lot. I get a bag from them every week and it's ground for me uh, to be used in the AeroPress. And in the morning, um, I kind of wake up, I get get started with some work. And then afterwards, like checking Twitter and email and Slack and stuff like that, I go downstairs, make my coffee in the morning. And it makes me very happy. Uh, And then, you know, I tend to have coffee with milk. So I'll make uh, coffee in the AeroPress and I'll add some milk. And then I will drink it from a big mug. And then later on in the day, usually after lunchtime, I will make myself uh, an iced coffee. So I'll just basically the whole scenario again with the AeroPress and some milk. And I throw some ice in and some simple syrup. And that's my second coffee of the day. That's how I run.
1: All right. That's good to know. I don't understand anything about it because I don't drink coffee. That's okay, though. So I just make tea, and, I, and
0: then I drink it. And I like the coffee, and you know. Yeah, you're you're a terrible Englishman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're a terrible American. So yeah, fair enough. High five! Woohoo! <laughs> okay. okay, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you'd like to find our show notes, head on over to relay.fm/upgrade/87. Thanks again to our sponsors, the great people over at Squarespace, MailRoute, and. Kingdom. If you'd like to find Jason online, head on over to sixcolors.com and he is at Jasonell, J S N E double L on Twitter. I am at I Mike, I M Y K E. And thanks again to Scott McNulty for joining us at the top of the show. Yep. And most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason. Cheerio.